All right, awesome, awesome. Hey, welcome to Rock Ridge. Welcome to Rhythms Part 3. So glad that you're here. My name is Matt, one of the pastors on our team. And all six of our locations, you know, we're one church, one vision, one mission, one budget, uh, common teaching, but we're one church, multiple locations, multiple languages, and we're fired up that you've uh, chosen to share this time with us as we're in this series called Rhythms, and we're in Part 3. But hey, Got to stop us and just point us to next weekend. It is one of my favorite weekends in the life of our church on our annual calendar. It's kind of like Super Bowl in our student ministry because we have Disciple Now uh, coming up. And I want to ask you all all a favor. I want you to pray specifically the next uh, seven, eight days for Disciple Now. If you have or influence a teenager, invite them, get them here, sign them up. Uh, there are amazing things for 17, 18 years that we've been doing these, plus the ones that I went to when I was a teenager. There were seeds planted that the Holy Spirit has harvested in my life for the duration of my walk with Jesus. So it's an amazing time. Lots of creativity, lots of fun, lots of Jesus. Uh, join me right now, all six of our locations. I want to pray over Disciple Now. God, I want to thank you that uh, we're a part of a church <clears throat> that refuses to put the next generation in the back seat and not God invest in them. And I want to thank you, God, for the generosity of this church that enables us to support and resource kingdom endeavors and opportunities like Disciple Now. And then, Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this. We invite you to be on students' hearts, their minds, their souls, to work through the, the small group leaders, the, the speaker, the band, and, and God, that uh, people's lives, their eternal trajectory would be altered forever, that seeds would be planted, that you could harvest. And, and so, God, place your favor. Give us your favor uh, for this event, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, so we're in Rhythms Part 3, talking about something that we all deal with, which is time. And we can't make it, we can only take it, right? You can't make time, everybody gets 24-7, 365. So you just have to choose where you take time. And and so that's kind of what we've been talking about. And we've been talking about through the lens of walking with Jesus, who himself was God in a human body, so God confined to 24-7, 365. So I want to just ask a a question, and and, and it's going to take us a while to to find the solution, but if you'll hang with me, uh, it's going to be an awesome journey through the Word of God. So have you ever bumped into something in your life or seen in your life where you're like, man, this just isn't working, right? And I'm not talking about your refrigerator or your TV or something. I'm just like where life isn't working, the relationship isn't working, faith isn't working, just life, something is just not working. And, And then you have this question, man, how do I deal with this? How, how do I handle this? How do I respond to this? And this is when we, li- I mean, we listen that we'll listen to Dr. Phil, we'll listen to Oprah, we go get self-help books, we ask people's advice. Some of us double down and try harder, but, but we all have bumped into this phenomenon of the human existence where stuff just doesn't seem to work for us. And, and then we take it a step further if we have some notion of a God and we're like, well, will God help with this? And if, and if God will help with this, how will he help with this? And if we don't know how God's going to help, then you reach a very dangerous spot, which is you come to the conclusion, well, God isn't helping. God isn't helping. And, and, and what I would like to do in part three of Rhythms is talk about how 
God can help with this, how God can help when you think something is not working, okay? And the solution is going to actually have something to do with your 24-7, this thing you can't make but you can take, your time. And and, and so I don't want anybody to come to this conclusion that God's not going to help you. Now, here's the challenge for everybody here today, okay? This This is the challenge, all right? The solution that we're going to get to as we navigate through this is going to be unfamiliar to you and unnatural for you. It's going to be unfamiliar to you and unnatural for you to do it. And, and so your temptation is going to be to walk out of here like, uh, uh-uh, not going to do that. Or I don't know, I, I just can't go there. And, and, and so I just want to pray against that right now. I want you to resist that as we navigate through this. Because I, and, I, and I heard this saying, and it was real powerful when I heard it. Most people, here's the saying, most people will choose familiar bondage than an unfamiliar solution. Most people will choose to stay stuck, stay in a rut, stay with something that's familiar, even if it's not working than to pursue something unfamiliar and unnatural. But that's what we got to pursue because that's where God's going to take us. All right, so if you have a Bible, love for you to open them up or turn them on, and we're going to read and be and just hang out. And it's in Psalm 46. Uh, this psalm inspired a guy named Martin Luther about five, 600 years ago to write a hymn called A Mighty Fortress is Our God, which is an amazing, amazing theological piece of work. So it's a beautiful song. You can, you'll, you'll, you can compare the lyrics to Psalm 46. A couple of things about Psalm 46. In 11 verses, God's going to be referenced 18 times. There's three sections of the psalm. It's written as a song. In, in fact, there's even instructions that it's supposed to be sung kind of in a soprano voice, which I will not try to do, all right? And so it, it's got that poetry element going on. So it's 18 references to God. It's supposed to be sung. There's about two, there's three, there's two, three sections with some breaks, and we'll talk about those and their significance. So we're going to start reading in Psalm 46. And, 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 and even, even verse 1 is going to kind of make us a, a little bit agitated and, and and upset us, but we'll hold on to it and we'll figure it out. It says, God is our refuge and strength. So a refuge is something you can take shelter in during a storm, during a difficult time. Uh, you, you know, imagine you're out in the wilderness and, and there comes a storm, a lightning storm, and you can refuge in, in a shelter that's prepared. And God is our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, it sort of made, it made me a little upset. Because I'm like, how is God found in trouble? I kind of sometimes think in my natural state that when there's trouble, God sort of left the building. You know, God's just sort of put things on co-pilot and he's off doing something else. Because if good God should not bring bad, should not allow bad things to come to me, right? So there's a little bit of a tension in the text. And I always teach this. When you find tension in the text, the scriptures, you lean into it because there's where the truth is. And so he's saying that, hey, this God who's a refuge and a strength is a helper who's always found in times of trouble is that God can be more prevalent, present. I'll even say it this way. God can be more real in your life when things aren't working, when things aren't working. And we're scratching our heads like, well, I, I don't get that, Matt. I don't get that. But just hold on to that as we journey through this. But, but there's something we have to unlearn. There's something we have to unlearn, and I'll be willing to bet that most of us at times, even subtly, even subconsciously, we lean in this direction, and it's an unbelief. And here's the unbelief that Psalm 46.1 gets rid of. 
God is not our genie who merely takes away bad things and gives us good things. God is not just like Santa Claus, firefighter, 911, who deals with the bad and, and, and help, helps us get to the good. That's not God's MO. That's not in God's job description. Let, let's go back. You see it in the text, right? God is found in times of trouble. It doesn't say God prevents times of trouble. It doesn't say bad things don't happen to good people. It doesn't say any of that. So there's a belief system that operates inside our psyche that says, hey, God ought to spare me from bad and maximize my good. Psalm 46.1 gets rid of that notion unequivocally, but it presents God in a different light that God is like, and I'm going to use this word, God is our source for like everything. God is the source for our identity. God is the source for our purpose. God is the source for our existence. He's a helper. He's a refuge. He's our strength. Our fuel, our direction all comes from God. God is a helper. God is a refuge. Now, then it goes on. And because of who God is, listen to what he says, therefore we will not be afraid. So we're in, we're in times of trouble in Psalm 46. God's a helper and a strength, or God's our refuge, and, and we're not going to be afraid. And we're like, well, don't we have reason to be afraid? And, and the Psalms, is, they say, yeah, you do, because the earth trembles and the mountains topple in the depths of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with its turmoil. So you look at this right here, and you're like, well, I have every reason to be afraid, but this says, though, I'm not going to be afraid. Why am I not going to be afraid? And we're not afraid because of who God is. So here's what he's doing, and this is, we're not there yet, but here's what he's doing. I said, why no fear? The reason there's no fear is because there's zero uncertainty at the source or about the source if our source is God. So fear actually is somewhat of an alarm bell that maybe I'm depending upon something vulnerable. Maybe I'm depending upon something that can be lost, that can be taken away. Maybe I'm depending upon something that's fragile. And so I'm afraid, what if I lose my health? Everyone will eventually. What, what if I lose this? What if I don't get this? And so I have anxiety and I have fear. And he's saying, when you know this God this way, refuge, strength, helper, always found in a time of trouble, you don't have to be afraid because he's certain and he's secure. And, and so that's what's presented. And then we get this little word, Selah, which is somewhat of a musical instruction, but it kind of means let's pause, let's contemplate, and let's consider In other words, we've just taken a deep breath of a biography of God. He's a refuge. He's strength. He's always found in trouble. We don't have to be afraid. This is who he is. We've been hit with a tension that this God is not promising to keep us from trouble or to keep bad from us. He's not making that promise. Selah. Let's consider that. I just want us to Selah for a moment. I want to invite us all six of our campuses. I'm going to stop. And I just want us to pray for just a moment. Would you join me? God, I don't know what you're going to do, but these words you've given us and preserved for us speak something over us and speak truth into us. And Lord, so we just want to pause for just a minute because we all walked in here, God, and, and, and we all walked in here with, with, with a this. This isn't working. Or we walked in here, God, just with something heavy or wondering about you and, and not sure, God, how you're going to help or if you're going to help. 
and, and what even that looks like. And so, God, these th- first three verses have created some tensions, have created some confusions. But, God, there's some promises in these verses. So, Lord, I just pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, you begin to illuminate our hearts to who you are. And, God, truly let us see you as you are. The God who says we don't have to be afraid even though difficulties come. So we're going to contemplate that. Selah. Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we go to the second group or the second stanza, if you will. And then he starts talking about God, and it gives a little bit of a description. He says, there is a river. River is a source of life. It's like why big cities kind of grow up around rivers, right? It's a source. It fuels. It generates the economy. It generates things. So there's a river. Now, some people think he's talking about the river in Genesis 2 that flows through the Garden of Eden or the river in Genesis 21 that flows through the New Jerusalem and marks that. But it says this river, its streams delight the city of God. So we have this source that is pleasurable. It delights the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. It says nations raid. So, so even, we have this city, Jerusalem. We have this city, Genesis 2, Revelation 21, and it's delightful, and God's in it. God's supplying, God's sourcing. Even though nations are raging, kingdoms are toppling, there's political, military uncertainty, the earth melts when he lifts his voice, the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of our Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. Let's pause again. And that's the flow of the text right there. Now, a couple of interesting points to draw out. It says he's the Lord of armies, he's protective, he's a host, and it says the God of Jacob. Now, why not the God of like Abraham? I, I, I think, and, and in studying this, Jacob was the one who was the deceiver. Jacob was the bad boy, and God's still his God. So what's he trying to tell us? No matter what you've done, God still wants to be your God. Selah. Stop and consider that. Stop and consider that. So, so what does this teach us? Okay, it teaches us that God is pleasure, like a river that delights. God is power. God is power. He speaks and things change. And God is personal. Because go back, look at this. Jacob is our God. This Lord of, God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord of armies is with us. So God is pleasure. God is power. And God is personal. Now, that begins to kind of sort of present a view of God that might challenge us a little bit. And if we don't understand this view of God, we will miss how God helps us when things aren't working. So, so when you stop and zoom out and you think about how you and I tend to relate to God or how you and I tend to view God, all right? There's kind of three options that, that get presented, three options that we're going to wrestle with. All right, so one is situational. That I view God based on how things are going around me. What's the situation that I'm in? If life is good, then God is good. If life is bad, I don't even know if I believe in God. That's Psalm 46 it kind of blows that whole thing up. But a lot of us 
tend to view God through situations. That if the situation is bad enough, deep enough, troubling enough, dark enough, if, if it's just not working at all, most of us reach a point where we begin to raise our hands and question God, and suddenly God goes on the witness stand. Suddenly everything we've learned in Sunday school or from our grandparents or anything like that, everything we've sung is, is now in doubt. We reach that point, and because and, 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 it's just God, our, real, our faith is really based on the situation we're in, situational. Sometimes our view of God is what I'll call transactional, meaning this, meaning this, God wants something from me, and if, I get, and if, I, and if he gets something from me, then he'll do something for me. So I, I approach God like I approach, you know, Walmart. That I, I want something for that. Walmart wants something from me, money, and in return I get what I need. Right? It's transactional. So we look at God and we make deals with God. We look at God and we think, God, I've prayed today. What are you going to do for me? God, my church attendance has been pretty good. What are you, God, I haven't killed anybody. What are you going to, God, I'm not as bad as those people. What, and we want it, and what we really want to do is put God in our debt. We would love to have God where he has to do something good for us. And so God becomes transactional, situational or transactional. But what Psalm 46 does is it sort of destroys those arguments. Because we've already said this God is not going to keep trouble from us. And this God is not interested in this transaction. He's a God of grace. And and we can't put him out of debt. He's the God of Jacob, right? Jacob the deceiver. Jacob the messed up little bad boy. And he's still his God too. So, So what's the third option? It's relational. This God who wants to be our God. This God who wants to be with us. There's a relational reality about God. And this this psalm is all about moving us in trouble, in difficulty, in natural disaster, in political military strife, moving us to this relational reality that this massive God who's bigger than nature, this massive God who can speak and topple the nations, this massive God wants to be up close, real, and personal with you and I. And, And so we get presented with this option. Now, it's an option because you got to believe it to receive it. you got to believe it to receive it. I'm going to say it. That doesn't mean you're going to receive it. But here's what it is. That the relational reality of God is greater than any trouble I face and better than any other thing God could give me. Say it again. The relational reality that God wants to be my God, our God, with me. The relational reality of God is greater than any trouble I face, and better than anything else God could give me. You have to believe that to receive that. But let me tell you why we're on to something here, right? You know how sometimes you've had a bad day, or you're having a bad season, and there's people in your life, or for some of you, it may be your dog, and you just want to be with them. They, they're not going to change what happened at work, they're not going to change, you know, the reality going on with your kids. But, man, if I, could just go t- if I could just talk to my mama, if I could just get home and sit down and hug my wife and hug my kids, that reality carries weight in my life and weight in my soul. 
right? If I could just get, if I could just hug my dog, right? If I could just be with that relational reality begins to move your soul or move your countenance or move you, right? So what we're saying is God is so big, so massive. He's over everything. He's greater than, he's better than, and he wants to be our God and he wants to be with us. And the invitation is, would we let that carry weight in our soul? That's the invitation. Selah, consider it. Pause, contemplate it, because we're gonna we face really two great deceptions, two two great deceptions. All right, the, the, the first great deception is this: that my experience is ultimate. Have you ever said, "Well, I just don't feel like," or "I don't see it," or "I've never known that," or "I've never experienced that"? So a lot of times we put ultimate weight on our experience. This psalm is written in spite of a a bad experience. This psalm is written in the middle of trouble. This psalm is written in the middle of uncertainty. And so what the psalmist is almost saying, what if there is a reality greater than your experience? See, the Bible offers us two ways to live. We can live down to our experience or we can live up to the revelation of God. Two ways to live. And, and so when we're invited into a psalm like Psalm 46, Psalm 46 challenges us to not let our experiences have the final say, especially our experiences of trouble, especially our experiences of adversity, but to let the relational reality of God count more, be more dominant than what you're going through. Now, the second deception is to be blessed is situational, how's your life going, and transactional. You ever heard someone, you say, hey, man, I'm blessed. And you say, hey, why are you blessed? Man, work is great. Everybody's healthy in my family. If that's the case, nobody in the poor of the world is blessed. And yet, I've been with the poor of the world who are happier than most of the wealthy and healthy in the world. Why? Because they live in the relational reality of God that counts more than how's my health and how's my wealth. But you listen to most Americans define blessed as I'm living the American dream. But you'll never find living the American dream in the living word of God. So there has to be a different and a better definition of blessed. And it is, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. To, to challenge that, because you've got to believe it to receive it, to challenge that, let me ask the question. Let me ask the, this is the question that keeps a lot of us up at night. Well, what if this doesn't get better? What if this doesn't work out? This is why the Bible and the truth of God has to be greater than your experience. This is why the Bible and the reality, the relational reality of God has to be count greater than your experience. This doesn't work out. This doesn't get better. God would say, I've already given you the best. I've given you myself. Or the capacity to have a relationship with me. God of Jacob is our stronghold. The Lord of hosts is with us. And, and, and then guess what we get to? That's big stuff. That's deep stuff we get to. Say, let's pause and think about that. Let's pause and, and ponder that. Would you join with me as we pray together?
God, this is amazing stuff. And thank you for these pauses in the Word that challenges and give us time to think and contemplate. God, maybe we've never contemplated that the greatest blessing is that we can have a relationship with you. God, the greatest blessing is not that I will never get cancer. The greatest blessing is not that I'll live to be 95. The greatest blessing is not that I'm married, have a house, have a secure retirement. The greatest blessing is not that my team won the championship or my candidate won the election. The greatest blessing is, God, you want to be with me. And I can have an experience, a relationship with you. God, I don't even know if everybody here really believes that. Because maybe our life experience as we walked in here is tough, is hard, is not working out as we thought, as we hoped, as we dreamed, as we even prayed, God. We just don't know if it's working out. God, by the power of your word, the presence of your spirit, I pray right now that we would let your word to us right now count more than our life experiences. May your word be our eyes. And would you open our eyes to rejoice and to see that you are the Lord of hosts and you're with us. You're the God of the Jacobs and you're our stronghold. Selah. In your name we pray. Amen. So we go to the third section of the psalm. The third section of the psalm starts with come and see. And, and this is almost the same, non-musically, but it's almost the same as Selah. It's contemplate, consider. Think about this. Come and see the works of the Lord. Come and see what God has done. And he says, this Lord brings devastation on the earth. He's that powerful. He's over things. He can make world wars cease throughout the earth. He has that kind of political power. He shadows bows and cuts fears to pieces. So in essence, we're not trusting in these things. We're trusting in God, that our God is more powerful than human methods and human weapons. He sets wagons ablaze. He's that powerful. So consider that about God. Come and see. Contemplate that about God. And then he does, something amazing happens in verse 10. In verse 10, this whole psalm is written kind of in second person, right? Uh, you and, and, and can you consider and you come and see, right? And then it switches to first person. It's almost like God's letting the prophets and letting the writers, the psalms, this speak. And then God comes up and grabs the mic and says, let me tell you this. Because he switches to first person and he gives us a command. He says in verse 10, stop your fighting. Other translations, be still, cease striving, stop and consider, ponder, give your attention to. So, so he says, look, stop. Oh, everything that's going on around you, everything you're dealing with, stop. You're, you're about to pick up weapons and fight in your own power and fight with human tools and human schemes and human maneuvers. Stop. Internally, you're going off, you're going crazy. Chill out. Stop. Okay, so stop and do what? And know that I am God. And this know is not know God informationally, not know about God. This is know God personally and know God experientially. So look what he said. You have to stop and cease and quit and hold off and pay attention in order to know God a certain way. See, there's those of us out here, and, and, and our lives are so crazy and so hectic. We don't know God, and we think, man, if I'm going to know God, he's going to have to do the old Moses burning bush thing. That's how God's going to speak to me. 
Those are the exceptions. The pattern, the rhythm is I have to stop to know. If I don't stop, you know what the implication is? I'll never know this God of Psalm 46. I'll never know this God as a helper, as a refuge, as a strength. See, see, here's what he's challenging us to do. We tend to live on the surface of our lives, right? What's going on around me? What's happening to me? There's wars. There's rumors of wars, Psalm 46. There's, there's earthquakes. There's the, the roaring waters. There's all this stuff going on. We tend to live on the surface. And what Psalm 46 is saying, look, 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 no, no, but there's a river. There's a source. And you got to connect to that source. So we need connection at the source, which is impossible if we only live at and look at the surface. You and I are designed and wired to connect to God deeper than our situations. Deeper than, hey God, what are you going to give me today? We're, we're, we're designed for that kind of connection, so we need connection at the source, but that's impossible if all we're living at, if all we're looking at is the surface of things, the political situation, the economic situation, the weather, what's happening to me, what's happening around me, we'll miss God. We'll miss God. And so the unfamiliar and the unnatural solution is to stop and to know. That, that's the rhythm. Now, now, again, I, I, I said at the beginning, most of us won't take God up on what he commanded. Most of us will go at a crazy pace when something's not working. We'll try harder, get busier, become more frantic, more stressed out, more fearful. Because we'll, and we'll move in a direction opposite of the, our ability to hear from and to connect to God. So the invitation is to stop, pause, and know. So, so I, I'll tell you like a recent story in my life, and, and I got this from a pastor. He, uh, he was telling me one time, he's a mentor pastor, church out in California, going through a tough time in his church, and he just, he's like, God, I need something from you, and I think he went down to the beach, and he's like, I, I, I gotta get, I, God, I need, and his phrase was, I need a handlebar. I need something to hold on to, despite what's going on around me. And, and, and he's talked about this revelation, this insight that God gave him. So I, similarly in my life, um, I, was, uh, I was in my office and, and, and a lot of stuff going on around, right? And I was like, I said, I, I have got to stop. I've got to stop my mind. I've got to stop everything. And I've got to get something from God that I can't see, can't perceive. I've got to stop to know. And, and, and so I, I, there's no clock. You kind of got to clear your calendar, you got to create some margin because God's not bound by your time. God's not, you know, God, I'm going to give you 15 minutes. My experience is if I say that to God, the revelation normally comes about the 17th minute. I can't, I have to stop. I, I want to pick something up. I want to make a phone call. I want to send five text messages and 10 emails. I want to check social media. I want to ask about this. I want to check who won the game last night. Oh, my social, oh, oh, here's my news feed. Oh, here's that. Oh, I got to respond to this. Oh, I got to go there. I got to do this. Stop. Oh, maybe I can call so-and-so. Maybe I can move money from here to there, here to there, and call this person, this person, this person knows that person, who knows that person. Maybe they can get the door to open for Stop. Stop. Because you can do all of that. And miss God. You can miss God. And so 
In this rhythm series, what we've been encouraging us to do, ourselves to do in our church is, look, we've said, hey, sign up for this text. Pray 24, 888-744-0761. 2,500 of you have said yes to that. So at 11 a.m., six days a week, you get to stop. Or whenever you get a chance to check that text message, it takes you about 30, 40, a minute to read what it is and create that space for God. And then... Next week, from, from Monday to Wednesday, or a week from now, going into first Wednesday, the 2nd of March to the 4th, we're going to stop and we're going to fast together as a church. Now, now that's, it could be a meal, it could be social media, it could be caffeine, it could be from, you know, whatever Netflix show you're watching. But you're just going to take that extra time you have that you would spend eating or you would spend on the Netflix binge or you would spend on caffeine and you're just going to give that extra time to stop and to know God. And, and here's the thing, I, I wish I could paint a better picture, and, and, but you got to just make that commitment because God's made the promise, but we have to make the commitment. The promise is you'll know God in a way you don't know Him before. You'll see God in a new light. You, you'll, you'll be with God in, in such a way that you aren't afraid. You'll be with God in such a way that you have a peace that passes all understanding. You'll be with God in such a way that your faith comes alive. And you're like, yeah, God is found in a time of trouble. God is more prevalent to me in a time of trouble, but it takes stopping to know. See, here, here's the challenge, right? Because here, here's, here's the battle. The battle is really not what's going on around you. The battle is what's going on in between your ears. And there's two types of thoughts that you have to learn to deal with. And stopping to know helps this, okay? First are this, deceptions. Like we are barraged with lies and half-truths all the time. And the problem is this, if you believe a lie, the consequence of believing a lie becomes a tr- is a truth, right? Like if you're driving down a road and you see a sign that says bridge out ahead and, and, and you're like, no, 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 that's a, that's a lie, right? That's not true. And you just keep driving. Well, you're going to discover a consequence, right? So you believe a lie, the consequences of the belief affect you like because it become true. So, so we have deceptions. And, and then the other thing we have going on is what I call defeated truths. A defeated truth is something that's true, but it's not ultimate. It's true, but it's not ultimate. A defeated truth is, man, today's a bad day. But God's mercies are new every day. That's ultimate. A defeated truth is, I, I, I'm a sinner and I've messed up. Yeah, but God's a redeemer and he specializes in me- taking mess ups and making them a part of his forever family. A, a defeated truth is, my loved one died. Right, but Jesus took the sting of death away. See what I'm saying? So if you, don't, if you and I don't learn to deal with deceptions and defeated truths, we tend to dwell on these things. We tend to dwell on these things until we stop to know. So, so, no, no, look what, so with that in mind, look at, the, look at how the psalm finishes. Stop your fighting or be still and know that I'm God and I will be exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. That God is going to, God wins God's ruling and God's reigning. And then he goes back and he gets personal again. The Lord of armies, Lord of hosts is is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. Stop and consider that. So look what he says. Be still and know God's going to be exalted. This exalted, ruling, reigning, resurrected King of kings, Lord of lords. This God is with us and he's our stronghold. Selah. 
So when you stop to know, you see God, you know God, and then God invites us in this last part of verse 10 where God's exalted. God God says, hey, look at the final score. You know who wins in the end. And if that God who wins in the end is your God, guess what you do? You win too. So, so all the trouble is like the second quarter, the third quarter. And then God says, hey, let me show you what it looks like at the end of the game. Exalted. And that God is your God and that God is with you. And so what happens is, as we be still to know, we get a conquering truth. A conquering truth over defeats a deception, and a conquering truth is greater than a defeated truth. A conquering truth is, hey, I sinned, but my God forgave me. A conquering truth is, hey, I messed up, but my God is a God of second chances. A conquering truth is, hey, the doctor said I have cancer. A conquering truth says, yeah, but God is a God over cancer. And you live by the conquering truth. You live by the fact that you know the final score and you're on the team and a part of the family and a part of the kingdom that wins in the end. Be still and know. Selah. Think about it. Let's pray. God, all of us just come right now to your throne and I, I, I pray you take our minds, God, and arrest them. So that, God, we quit dwelling on a deception, on a lie, or a defeated truth. God, we've just read that you will be exalted. And yet, you want to be our God. And you're relational. So, God, I I, I pray right now that people in this room and in the sound of my voice realize that if you are their God, and they have given you their life, they have won. Yes, we have to fight, but we don't fight for victory. We fight from it. God, may that truth dwell in our hearts. May we say, God, you are our helper, our refuge, our stronghold. You're our God. God, there may be some people here who can't say you're their God. They think they know about you maybe. Maybe you're the man upstairs. Maybe you're a generic God. But right now, God... Would you show them that you died for them to become part of your family, part of your team, part of your kingdom? You died for their their sin, their deception, and then you were resurrected, and you're reigning, and you're ruling, and right now in this place, you're inviting people to say yes to you because you've already said yes to them. So God, just have your way. We need to say la. We need to consider. We need to stop and know just who you are in the depths of our soul. God, I thank you for every person here. And as we sing this next song and respond with our tithes and offerings and prayer cards and next step cards, God, you take this time and keep our minds focused on you. Keep our minds focused on this great relational reality that you are with us and you're our God. And God, we just continue to pray. Selah, you win in the end. And if we're with you, we're winners too, by your grace and for your glory. Bring victory to souls right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.